Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. Welcome in to the BSN Rockies podcast. It really wasn't talked about back then when I was in middle school and high school about pitching at elevation. And the majority of the staff, I think, except for Marquez, we all came through the system of the Rockies. And, and you can see that this was installed a long time ago. We're going to put a team on the field that's that's going to hit and play defense well, but also have a, a group of pitchers that know what it takes to pitch at this level and also pitching at Coors with everything that goes along with that, with the, you know, altitude and everything. It's very special, and we pride ourselves on it. And once I actually got off the family plan, I actually texted him, hey, I got my own phone bill, and he's like, it's about time. <laughs> so it was a pretty good one. Did you have adult love before you were on your own phone plan? Um, yeah, I did. I, did, I, did. <laughs> I got brought in with runner at second, and I walked the eight, nine-hole guys um, who I faced in AAA earlier that year. And then all of a sudden, Derek Jeter comes over with bases loaded. And I'm like, oh, man, what do I do? But I started off the breaking ball, actually, for a strike. And I ended up oh, striking him out. So. <laughs> what, do I, what do I do? I'll surprise him. <laughs> and now, your host, Drew Priestman. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. On today's episode, we've got to discuss yet another frustrating loss for your Colorado Rockies. Have one or two positives, one or two silver linings, but... That's it. That's when when all you're getting is silver linings at this point in the season. Uh, people are understandably frustrated and shifting into what do they sell off mode. And so for the most part, that continues to be the conversation. We do need to talk about Kyle Freeland's very good start. Uh, we do need to get into a little bit of what's been going on more specifically the last couple of games against the nationals because they haven't been far off by any means but it just doesn't change the fact that they're falling and falling and falling fast out of this jill is correct here on the facebook live 
that there is still a lot of baseball left. Crazier things have happened. Bud Black and Kyle Freeland have both had comments to that effect after the last couple of games here. And they're not wrong, and they have to say that. Look, they got to keep showing up and playing baseball the same way any one of us, if we're not feeling it, still has to keep showing up at our job and do our best out there. And so, no, I, I, I don't think it's likely that the Rockies turn this thing around, just to be completely blunt with everybody out there. I think that's very, very unlikely to happen. And so I do think they need to start looking at moving out some of these veteran pieces, saving what they can on the contracts, getting whatever they can in terms of young players, and start looking toward the future with a lot of young players that they already have in the organization, maybe some that they can acquire. But there are also, I think, some more philosophical needs we, we talk a lot about specific players, and I'm happy to do more of that. Though I think if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you understand at this point the, the players I think need to play more within the Rockies organization in the final stretch of the season, the guys that they can build around going into the future, and even some of the types of players I'd like to see them target uh, in general. But... I want to begin with a question that was, again, sent into the website, which is the best way now to guarantee that your question is read. And, and I really do want to encourage that we all go in there, and I'll, I'll do a better job of it as well, talking through some of these conversations on the site, leaving the comments there. I know uh, most of you who send in questions are subscribers, so you can make sure that you get your question answered. If you leave a comment on the most recent article or the most recent podcast, I will make sure that I get to it and I start there. And this one from Mary, I, I think, helps us frame the conversation about moving forward, whether you think they can recover this season or not. Things need to be addressed. And I think this is one of them that's been very underrated. And so Mary says, how do advanced metrics rate the Rockies outfield defense? My eyeball test says, yuck, how do they fix it for 2020? Will Dahl and Tapia improve from having a full year's experience? She continues to ask some questions. I'm going to stop right here and dissect this so far. The answer to the first part of her question, how do they fix it for 2020, will depend somewhat on the answer to the second part of the question. Will Dahl and Tapia improve from having a full year's experience? And I think we've seen already in this series, as Dahl has moved to center field and been playing there more prominently, with Desmond making his first couple of starts in left, that it looks like David Dahl is going to be your everyday center fielder for the rest of the season. They'll want to see, one, what this does to his body. Can his health hold up under the intense endurance that must be required to play that position, especially at Coors Field. And of course, secondarily, but still the most important element after that is, does he play defense at a high rate? Now, it's difficult because the metrics are always tough on Rockies outfielders. I don't know that they've done a very good job of accounting 
for Coors Field. Either that or it's legitimately the case that the Rockies have never had an above-average defensive center fielder, uh, which doesn't seem quite right to me. And a lot of these guys have gone to other places like Dexter Fowler and Juan Pierre and rated out above-average defensively in center field. It's just tough to do for the Rockies. And stats like DRS have always killed the Rockies in the outfield. That said... DRS had Charlie Blackman at a negative 20 in center field last year and has Ian Desmond uh, on pace to be just a little bit underneath that by the end of the season. So better, but not by much. And the Rockies have taken a hit in right field with a drop off from Cargo to Charlie Blackman, who, who doesn't have the range or the arm and certainly the familiarity with the position that Cargo did. And and so there's definitely been drop-off there. And and I do think that all of this combined, and then add in first base, though we're talking about outfield here, but has really been part of the disaster soup that has led to the dismantling of Colorado Rockies pitching kind of across the board. It's... A lot of it is still on their shoulders. The primary factor, again, if we're like power ranking reasons why Rockies pitching has been poor this season, the number one reason still falls on the shoulders of each individual guy who has had his struggles. But somewhere on that list, maybe three or four on that list is maybe even number two on that list has been some of the shoddy defense that has been played behind them and in a place like Coors really anywhere but in a place like Coors Field or on a team where you've got a bunch of 24 year old pitchers you have to convert the outs that are convertible you you can't be given extra outs at Coors Field especially but really in the game of baseball in these days when just about anybody can go yard at any time you keep an inning alive you're just going to get burned for it and it's burned the Rockies a lot this year and so while I still don't think, to get back to Mary's question a little bit, that the defensive metrics are especially reliable when it comes to the Rockies' outfield defense. The infield defenders are rated, it's all pretty much about the same as everyone else across. The, and, and then that just comes down to how much do you trust defensive metrics in general, which I still think we are at the, the baby steps. We're still crawling before we can walk when it comes to measuring Defense. I think there are a lot of major, major gaps in the metrics in general. So that's why I tend not to just take them on face value. But you can sometimes use them to compare, like I was talking about. Like, they hated Charlie Blackman, which I think was a little bit unfair. But they also hate Ian Desmond, but a little bit less. So you can kind of do a little bit of math and say, that's probably suggests he's been a little bit better than Charlie was a year ago. Maybe. Um, but the next part of her question, I think, is really interesting. So so to, to put a cap on that that first segment of them, uh, I think you've got to pay attention to Dahl for the rest of the year and maybe on days when he sits, see what Tapia can do out there. I'd really like them to I'd like to see what happens if they give Tapia some run in center field. If you do fall out of it, those are the kinds of things you can do. You can take some risk and say, look, it might be a disaster for a little while. But maybe 
He gets a better read on the ball from out there because it's easier to read the ball from center field off the bat, and it turns out that his speed and general athleticism plays up much better there. And then you don't have to go out and spend resources in terms of money or a trade to get a good center fielder next year because I do think a great defensive center fielder should be near the top of the Rockies' priority list going into 2020. I talked a lot in the offseason about Billy Hamilton and Dee Gordon, and because they couldn't hit, a lot of people thought I was crazy, but they need a player like that. And if they can get a player who can give them, or at least what we saw out of Kevin Pillar, you know, that kind of defense in center field, we've seen it make a difference. It's almost like the universe is showing the Rockies series after series after series with the teams they're going up against the quality of having a good to great defensive outfield and what that can do to help your pitchers get out of those tough innings because the balls that they're tracking down they're not taking singles off the board. They're taking doubles and triples, oftentimes with runners in scoring position off the board. Those are huge momentum swings in a game. And so I really think that should be at the top of the Rockies' priority list, and they can do some due diligence in the latter part of this season by seeing what doll and top you have. Maybe it's one of those guys. If it is, great. Go out and get a big bat and a couple of pitchers in the offseason and, and retool and go right back at 2020. But uh, if not, if, if they want to continue to protect Dahl or they don't think that his defense is going to play up enough to risk the health factor of, of running him into the ground and they don't think that Toppy is going to be polished enough to play the position because it's so difficult and there's going to be more opportunities for him to make mistakes and therefore more opportunities for those mistakes to hurt your team, then I think you've got to very seriously consider finding one of those guys who's just always been a phenomenal center fielder and going out and getting him and resigning yourself to whatever that guy's offense may be. If it's Billy Hamilton, so be it. I mean, I honestly think Billy Hamilton's 218 batting average this season, he's got 17 stolen bases. It's like, he doesn't get on base a lot. When he does, he almost always scores, but let him go run the baseball down. You got to help out your pitchers. You got to help out your pitchers. But Mary continues, is there a way to utilize positioning to hide some of the flaws uh, in the vets in the outfield. Uh, she mentions that it helped Corey Dickerson. She says, I know Coors outfield, especially center field, is a challenge, but Kevin Pillar didn't seem bothered by it. Also, I'm curious, what are their home versus road splits for the outfield defense? Is there any kind of hangover effect? Mary, that's an absolutely fascinating question that needs to be answered by somebody who's a lot smarter than me. But I would say that I doubt there's going to be enough data in a single season for that to be very reliable. What I would be interested in seeing is a home road split for outfield defense over the last several years for the Colorado Rockies and if there's some kind of pronounced hangover effect. And that would be really interesting. That wouldn't surprise me one way or another if there's some kind of pattern that emerges uh, one way or the other there. I could actually see it going both ways where they're worse at home upon returning from a road trip or they're worse out on the road after being at home but because of the nature 
of how many balls happen to be hit out there and, and all kinds of other things. You just need a lot more data. You'd need at least three years, probably more than that, because you're splitting home and road uh, to start to get into some numbers that would be mathematically viable for any kind of pattern to hold any sort of meaning. But it's but your question is one of, of great merit because just because it might, as I've often said, might be difficult or even impossible to measure doesn't mean that it's not impacting the game. And this is one of those things. Like there's a difference between playing center field at Coors and anywhere else. And certainly at some of these smaller ball, ballparks, there's just a big difference. So it could be something that's affecting the Rockies, but it might be difficult to really ascertain what that is. Uh, but to get back to the other part of it, you know, you, you mentioned how they kind of tried to hide Corey Dickerson in left field. And I would argue that that hurt the Rockies quite a bit. And that I think the one thing that's really surprised me about this season, and I talked about it coming into the year, I just didn't make as big a deal of it because I, I didn't think the pitching was going to struggle as much as they did. But once the pitching began to struggle, it really exacerbated this problem with the defense. And they had made it such a priority in the years where they've been really good. They have made defense a priority. And in letting go of DJ LeMahieu and bringing in Daniel Murphy and having Ian Desmond go and play another position he hadn't played in a couple of years and moving Charlie Blackman to right field and uh, trying to keep their best athletes in Tapia and Tall off of the wear and tear of center, they actively chose to sacrifice defense. And they've paid the price for it. And I didn't think they'd pay this big a price for it, but they have. And I think it's been a major factor. And so I, I think it needs to be addressed one way or another. And, and they may have the internal pieces, but I don't think hiding guys is necessarily the way to go. And that's part of why I think if they can get something out of Daniel Murphy at this trade deadline, they should do so. Not that I've actually been very pro Daniel Murphy. I think he's helped the team in a, in a lot of ways at the plate that aren't even necessarily well understood just by talking to some of these guys in the clubhouse. I think for example, he gets some credit for what Ian Desmond has done this year, but ultimately He's just not a good defensive first baseman at all. If you can move him and get some value back, because his contract isn't huge and he can still hit, he still puts together a great at-bat, an American League team would absolutely take him. There are National League teams that would absolutely take him. And though you may in the immediacy make your team less competitive, You've made yourself a better defensive team already if you just move Ryan McMahon over and despite the error last night that cost Kyle Freeland the only run, an unearned run that he gave up over his six innings of work, Garrett Hampson can play second base for the rest of the season. Then it's open between him and Rodgers going into next year. That's just a better, like you've, you've got your totally solid infield defense left to right there going in next year. And then you figure out all this stuff I've been talking about in the outfield, but you're, you're one player, I think one great defensive center fielder away from fixing this thing that's been a very big problem for the Rockies this year. So there you go. Um, 
Why don't I take a quick break here? I've got plenty more questions to answer, but uh, I, I do need to throw two breaks a little bit more. I'm supposed to be doing two, and every once in a while I only do one. So I want to make sure I get them both in. Uh, remind everybody to subscribe to bsndenver.com. Our guy Patrick Lyons has been out there for these series in New York and Washington. He's really helped giving me a break on the writing side, and he's come up with some fantastic stuff. And I think the best one is still yet to come. But if you didn't read his uh, recap, his remembrance of, his his walk down memory lane with Bud Black one-on-one -on -one about the famous pine tar game with George Brett, which Bud Black pitched in. Uh, you've got to, got to, must, must read article. And, and, and he had a must read article on the Hall of Fame induction of Roy Halladay as well. Uh, he's just been doing some fantastic stuff out there. And I'll just actually even preview another one. He's got some exclusive content coming out with some people in the know about the netting issue, uh, which has been, I think, at the forefront of a lot of conversations in baseball this year. So make sure you're following him on Twitter at Patrick D. Lyons. Make sure you subscribe to bsndenver.com so you can read all of this exclusive content and then some stuff that I'm going to get to publishing here in the next couple of days. Uh, he's just been absolutely fantastic. So thank you all. I'm going to take a quick break here. Come back on the other side of it. Keep answering questions. Hey, if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature, refined adult, or you just really like wine, you have to check out my friends over at Weinster. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only... Are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines? You're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Weinster, all you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then, when you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums. So sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs. 
you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more. All right, welcome back in the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Going to continue answering some questions here, which will also give us some opportunities uh, to talk a little bit more about the 2 to nothing loss the Rockies suffered at the hands of the Washington Nationals in the third of a four-game set out there in D.C. Kyle Freeland pitched extraordinarily well. Uh, one home run given up by Jake McGee was the only earned run Rockies pitching allowed in the game, but the offense just could not get it going, continues to struggle to find a hit with runners in scoring position, um, hit the ball over the wall, really do much of anything uh, against Patrick Corbin, and now they've got to try to figure it out against Mad Max Scherzer, uh, one of the best pitchers in all of baseball for about a decade. So just looking like rough stuff out there. For the Rockies, which is part of why we're looking around at, at some other things around the team and, and asking some questions about the future like this one from Jake. He says, hi, Drew, which right-handed first baseman could we see brought in? Obviously need one. Murph just isn't getting it done. Um, I'm not sure it needs to be a right-handed first baseman. In an ideal scenario, I do think Ryan McMahon becomes your first baseman of the future, and one of those right-handed bats emerges at second. If Brendan Rodgers can stay healthy and be a guy who can hit 25 home runs, which that's a little bit lower than a lot of his projections. He's always been talked about as a 30-home run guy in the big leagues, and he's got that kind of pop. I know it, it, his first couple of weeks at 22 years old, we didn't see the power yet. Now he's shut down for the rest of the season, so people aren't especially high on the prospects of Brandon Rogers right now. But he, that right there is your infield right-handed power bat if he comes out the way uh, he's supposed to in, in a lot of ways. And you've got Garrett Hampson there, not really for the pop, but as some insurance, and, and he's a right-handed bat. So I, I think you know you could go out and get one. You could say McMahon's going to play second base. We'll see if Rodgers ever becomes a thing. Let's go get a big right-handed first baseman. The, the ongoing saga of can the Rockies try to pry Jose Abreu away from the Chicago White Sox could continue, uh, though he is not especially capable defensively either. So part of the problem is that you're trying to not just get a big bat but no glove at first, which is what the Rockies thought they were getting in Daniel Murphy. Uh, you want to move away from that philosophy, you need, you need a better defender there. And that's why I think McMahon really is the guy for the job. I think his defense is going to play up really well at first. And I think he's his bat really is coming around. And in that event, if you really want a right-handed power guy and you don't think Rodgers is going to be it, there are a couple other people you can take a look at. One of them is mentioned in uh, a follow-up comment from you. Here you got you you mentioned Nick Castellanos, and that's not a guy that the Rockies trade for now, at this point in the the schedule, where they would have to pay probably quite a bit more. But it's someone they could look into in the off season to maybe come in, play some left field. You know, again, not a ton of glove there, not terrible, but a huge bat. 
and and try to get it done that way. I would maybe be a little more interested in free agent Marcelo Zuna, uh, who's a good athlete, a pretty good defender, but you still probably got to stick him out and left. But he got a great arm from out there, which is going to help in the expansive outfield. And like I mentioned, a good athlete, go run the ball down. Great hitter, right-handed with some pop. Uh, I, I think that could be an interesting guy to look at in the offseason for the Rockies. But those are definitely some moves you look at for um, further down the line. Mitch wonders, what about Puig? Uh, that would be intriguing. That, that would get an interesting reaction from the fans for sure. I wouldn't be against it in any way. Um, again, I, I think his general athleticism would play up. I think it would be good to put him in right field and stick Charlie over and left, though Charlie's got to cover a lot of ground out there, and his, his lack of mobility is going to hurt you a little bit because left field is really, really big at Coors. Uh, but with Yasiel Puig's arm, you almost have to put him in right, or maybe you just let it play out, play up and left. I don't know. But sure, I, I'd look at Puig. Absolutely. Um, the, I, I think there are some interesting possibilities for adding a big bat I do think they've got to take care of this pitching and defense problem first I I think that's got to be top priority the Rockies have shown really throughout their entire history an ability to get pretty good offense whether it's from free agents or, or guys they've grown to at least get decent offense and some of that is the ballpark that they play in but you know they've just had a better history of growing position players that's why i'd like to see at the end of the season what they've gotten sam hilliard what do you gotten brian mundell hilliard's already on the 40-man roster mundell is not i think he's the only guy i really want to see at the major league level get some at bats that's not on the 40-man uh, there there are a number of possibilities there if they do make a trade of, of any one of their vets that could free up a spot on the 40-man roster and there you go if not there are a couple of dfa candidates even for guys who would probably just come right back to the organization the most obvious in my mind is pat valeka who could be dfa'd come right back to the rockies to make room for a brian mundell but i'd like to see what those guys have because if they if you don't think they're going to be a big part of your future then maybe you do go out and spend the money because i've said before i don't think you spend money on starting pitching you got to trade for starting pitching or you got to grow it and so or you do a little bit of both like they did with marquez trade it and grow it uh but if they could do something like that, then they absolutely should. Uh, but if you want to make it more the, the general category resources, where do you spend your resources? I still think it's got to be pitching and defense. Pitching and defense. Get back to being a run prevention team. You'll find enough offense out of Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman. You will find enough offense. So I say again. Continue to build around that core, but you got to shore up. You got to become, again, a team whose clear calling card and identity is pitching and defense, run prevention, whether that's acquiring pitchers and defenders, growing more of them, giving more of them opportunities to do some things, making sure you play guys properly. And I, and I want to wrap up to get back to Mary's response, uh, actually, to what I said here Uh her point on Corey Dickerson, she says, was less about trying to hide someone, more about pre-play positioning and things you can do there. And it's been an interesting year for the Rockies in this regard. And I know, I'll say this, I know there's debate, a lot of debate 
within the organization about this because they've changed things around a little bit. And early on, it was really working well for them. We even did an article on this. They've started using those cards that tell them where to be before the play. They've got these highly in-depth scouting reports on where guys are hitting the ball. They've done a better job of pitching to those scouting reports as well. And it was working early on, and they had really good outfield defense. But it just hasn't been as of late. And I also know that there's a lot of people out there who believe the Rockies have been playing too deep all year. And in order to cut down on extra base hits, they've ended up really ratcheting up the number of singles that have fallen in front of guys. And once this was pointed out to me, I started seeing it everywhere. And so I think pre-play positioning is really a, a battle going on right now trying to figure out what the best thing is to do at Coors Field and or with the personnel that the Colorado Rockies have and one of the ways you can really help that is to get personnel who can bring the most out of it but I, I do think that a lot more research and time needs to go into answering that question about the pre-play positioning because we have seen examples where it's helped out guys like you mentioned Dickerson more after he left Colorado that really begun to help him I, I always go to the example of Alfonso Soriano being rated one of the worst defenders in baseball then going to Chicago and they used to just play him on the warning track so nothing would get behind him and his defensive numbers went way up but I don't think that was necessarily helpful for preventing more runs and that's one of the reasons back to my thing about you know defensive metrics only tell you so many things and a guy rating out at being awesome at running routes or or jumping and leaping and, and doing stuff like that may not make up for another guy who's just a lot better at taking one or two steps before the pitch is even thrown because he knows what pitch is coming he knows what this batter's tendencies are and he knows where he should be before the plate like there are so many other things or or where they're even positioned at the time like i said if you're already being protected as you're standing on the warning track so no it's technically not your fault that your lack of skills you know, it wasn't a lack of skills that caused you to catch that single nobody standing where you were was going to come in and catch that single but if someone wasn't just played in a normal spot they might have had a play on that ball then you know that's something we can't really account for and so I think it behooves the Colorado Rockies to minimize that issue but still seek to address it they, they should minimize it by acquiring players or, or maybe Desmond's athleticism will actually really play up in left field eventually and I, I could totally see Desmond finishing out his contract as the everyday left fielder for the Colorado Rockies, whereas defense plays up in that position a little bit because it's more based on just have him having to cover a ton of ground out there. But there will be less opportunities for those plays that really kill you in center field. The ideal scenario is that Dahl, I, I think Dahl has the best chance, and I think the ideal scenario is that David Dahl becomes the center fielder of the future beginning right now. He really starts to get a handle on how to play Coors Field which is going to take a minute took Charlie a little while it's, it's taken it, it's it's tough for a reason but I think it'll play up there the question is just you know we've seen what it's done to Charlie Blackman's athleticism do you want to do that to David Dahl or I'm Altapia is there a way to trade off between them a little bit but if, if that's not necessarily what happens, if there's a way to have that not be the case, I think one of those guys is your best bet for a little while. And, and you build around that. And I've heard some people talk about our good friend Mark Knudsen, who's also been on this 
defense is a big problem. Train has talked about maybe moving Charlie Blackman to first base, and I hadn't thought of that, but, you know, it's a former major leaguer there talking about it, and so I could see that. If, again, you're not so sure about uh, Rogers' future and you don't want to put too many eggs in that basket, and you want to leave McMahon at second base because you really like where his defense is starting to go there and you don't necessarily want to bury the athlete at first, but you have someone you think, if you think Charlie Blackman could be a competent first baseman at 6'3", and go up and get some stuff you think he can take to digging balls out in the dirt, then, I mean, Mark Knudsen seems to think that could be an upgrade. He, you think he, as a former pitcher, would be the most concerned about easy ground balls getting dropped by a first baseman. I can't imagine Charlie Blackman would be much worse than we've seen out of Daniel Murphy this year. But that would be an interesting thing. And, and then, again, if you do that, you can go back to looking at those outfielder guys we were talking about earlier, an Ozuna or a, a Castellanos, or if you want to go get someone who's a little more defensively minded. I'd have to look around the leagues at, uh, league at some of the other names who put up fantastic defensive numbers. Kevin Kiermeyer is one I know, you know. That would be interesting, and that would be a way, a way to clear an outfield spot is to move Charlie Blackman to first. But they've, they've got to address it one way or the other. They can't just not address it. And I think that's my sort of closing statement here for, for this podcast. And, and, and I got asked this a lot. Uh, variations, Will, you asked a variation of it in terms of will they actually do anything at the deadline? Can they afford to just sit around? And, and the more I think about it, they just can't. they got to do something. They've got to move out some guys. If, if there's a total stalemate at the trade deadline, I think there's rightfully going to be a lot of criticism, a lot of frustration from the fan base, from the media, maybe even from some players. Uh, I, like, it's not going to be a good look if they do nothing because they have this strong core to build around, and you got to start making the next move right away. Hey, I should have done this earlier, but I do have to remind everybody about our new partnership with Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver, and I could not be more excited as I have long been a fan of especially their vanilla porter, but really all of the great brews you can get from Breckenridge, including the Avalanche, Amber, uh, the Oatmeal Stout, and their brand new Strawberry Sky, which has been a favorite around the office. So make sure you check it out at any local liquor store and that you go and check out the events calendar that we have posted on our website over at BN bsndenver.com you'll be able to see all the events we have planned and you can rsvp come hang out with us and have a good time but uh to close on the the more positive side as i was mentioning this on twitter somebody sorry i don't have the name right in front of me but mentioned back hey you you do realize the season isn't over and crazier things than have have happened than teams that are seven or eight games out this far making a run including the 07 Rockies, and that's true, and that's worth remembering, and the season is not over. But you do have to be smart. If you're in the front office of the Colorado Rockies, you, you've got to be realistic here. And you've also, I think, got to recognize the truth that the Rockies' ability to go on said run will not be hindered by the kind of moves that I am advocating. The Rockies' ability to go on some kind of crazy end-of-the-season run is going to come from the same places that it would come from with or without 
Daniel Murphy or Ian Desmond or Brian Shaw or Jake McGee or Wade Davis, all of whom could be good or decent or even Murphy or Desmond could be great for you down the stretch. But if they're going to go on the run, the what happens is John Gray pitches awesome. Harmen Marquez pitches awesome. Kyle Freeland pitches awesome. Peter Lambert pitches awesome. And then Arenado, Story, Blackman, and McMahon all hit. Then you go on a run. And whatever your bullpen, like it, it's going to have to be just a complete turnaround with guys you've got one way or another. Some of those guys in there, whether and it, it probably wasn't going to be McGee, Shaw, Davis, whoever. There's not that huge a difference between what they've been doing lately versus what Chad Bettis has been doing lately, Carlos Estevez has been doing lately. Get some run for Almonte and Tinoco. See what Philip Deal's got. Uh, because if a run's going to happen, it's going to need to happen from guys who are on the team playing better. And those are your options, whether you make trades or not. So make trades. And not crazy huge. We've had this conversation before. You don't get stupid with it. And you don't force it. Look, if nobody offers anything decent for Ian Desmond, you don't force it. By any means. You don't need to do that. Uh, but if someone does offer to take some or most of that contract and makes some sense to do it, it's going to be a real tough sell to do nothing because you can still do all of these things and go on a run this year one way or the other. So, Because I'm not getting rid of Trevor's story or Nolan Arenado or Charlie Blackman or John Gray. Almost certainly not getting rid of Scott Oberg, though I could see another team getting desperate and giving the Rockies like their top starting pitching prospect for a reliever who they think will put them over the top this year. And if they do that, you have to take it. You have to take that deal. But that's the one guy. And, and again, I don't think the Rockies should be in the business of moving out their only reliable bullpen guy. But in a year like this, you say, in the offseason, we'll do our best to go find another one. If, if someone gets desperate, I could see them giving up someone they probably shouldn't for Scott Oberg uh, just because of the particular role and value he will have for the remainder of this year. They're not moving out John Gray. I can't imagine a world. I, I think that's even slightly less likely than Charlie Blackman. I, I, I could, again, see another team maybe getting desperate. And John Gray, I just don't think there's a chance the Rockies move him at all. Right now he's the rock of their rotation moving forward. He is what they are hoping Marquez and Freeland emulate going into next season. So it, it's going to be it's going to be really fascinating to see how they handle this trade deadline because Jeff Breidich has been a buyer at the last two and he was a seller at the one before that. Let's not all forget every deadline. He's made some moves. He got rid. It wasn't right on the day of the deadline. It was like two or three days before when he moved Troy to Lewitsky, just a few months into his tenure as GM traded the face of the franchise. And while none of those players have worked out to this extent, uh, Miguel Castro is no longer with the team. Jeff Hoffman and, and uh, Jesus Tinoco are still gigantic question marks. He still get out, did get out from underneath a whole bunch of money. And that's, to some degree, what we're looking at here. You're not, you're not going to get anything that's going to work out probably necessarily for Desmond or Murphy or McGee or, or Davis or whoever, but you can get out from underneath a whole lot of money. And, and then the trick is just spending it wisely but those are the last three years you know he's done something at the deadline that year that's a big sell move and you're not likely to see a blockbuster but it's always funny to me like the narrative around Jeff Breidich is that he never does anything but each of the last three years he's done stuff at the deadline 
Not huge stuff, except the Troy Tulowitzki thing was pretty huge. And I think the next year was pretty big, getting both Pat Neshek and Jonathan Lucroy. I think those are pretty big, significant moves. And I thought the O move was super underrated. So it, it's just weird to me. It was like very important for the team down the stretch. So I'll be surprised if he does nothing, just given the track record, despite the narrative. But uh, did Joey Gallo just get traded? Well, that's cool. I love Joey Gallo, by the way. So, yeah. Uh, he'd look interesting. When, when does his contract expire? Because he'd look great in a Rockies uniform. Uh, <laughs> hit the ball in the air, and, and he's he's actually made himself a little bit better of a contact hitter, and he's not terrible defensively in the corners in the outfield either. He's not fantastic, and he might be much worse at Coors. I don't know, but it's a guy, I'd, take, I'd take Joey Gallo in purple for sure. Going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, let's all go watch this baseball game. I'll get this thing up. Oh, he's, he broke his hammate. Bummer. That sucks. That's too bad. I like that guy. I like him a lot, as I just said. So, All right, thanks, everyone, for hanging out. I'm going to try to get this posted real quick, so I'm going to sign off real quick. Make sure, you're you're following us on social media at BSN Rockies, at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook or whatever podcast app you happen to be using out there. Again, make sure you're subscribed to bsndenver.com. If you do so, you can get yourself a free T-shirt. If you want to try it out for a month, we've got a free trial for you there. Check out bsndenvermerch.com to get any extra shirts. We just launched some awesome college stuff, so if you're a buff or a ram, We've got some new shirts for you. They're fantastic. You need them as a part of your life. Thank you all so much for continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. This episode of the BSN Rockies podcast was brought to you by The Green Solution, which has 17 Colorado locations and an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. Get on your phone right now. Go to their website, mygreensolution.com. Order your flour, concentrates, edibles, and topicals online and head to the closest Green Solution for pickup. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase.